Welcome to episode 37 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, this is Melanie. I have a quick announcement before we begin. As you likely know, the re-release of the What When Wine Diet, which is called What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, is now available to pre-order on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. If you read the original book, this version is about 80% new content, and it has 50 amazing gluten-free recipes by celebrity chef Arian Resnick. But I have a special offer for listeners of our podcast. If you pre-order that book and send a picture of your receipt to preorder at ifpodcast.com, I'll send you a few fun things. First, I'll go ahead and send you the holiday recipes from the book. So that is a turkey with apple cranberry chutney, a root veggie mash, which is sort of like mashed potatoes without potatoes, a pumpkin pie, and a paleo pie crust recipe. And those are all just amazing. They also have wine pairings with them as well. You'll also get access to an online quiz to figure out your perfect IF approach. That'll be available starting November 13th. And then lastly, you'll be entered into a drawing to win a phone or a Skype call with me. So that'll be super fun and I would love to talk to you. So yes, please pre-order that book and send a copy of your receipt to pre-order at ifpodcast.com. All right, thanks so much. Now enjoy the show. Hi everybody and welcome. This is episode number 37 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Jen. 2018. Yeah, 2018. 2018. That's so exciting. It really is. It's hard to believe. I think it's going to be the year. That I really feel like that. I think so, too. Yeah, I feel like it is. I have a blog post called 2017, the year of intermittent fasting. But you know what? I feel like 2018 is really going to be the year. I, I really, really feel that, especially because my book comes out tomorrow. Yay! That's which so exciting. Is crazy. I know. I, I bet you cannot wait. Have you gotten your hands on a copy? I'm sure you do. They actually just came in the mail. Oh, so exciting. It's very, very surreal. And actually, Jen, you are mentioned on the back cover. Oh, that's exciting. In my bio, one of the sentences Yay. says she co-hosts the Intermittent Fasting Podcast with Jen Stevens. So you can you can go to you can go to Barnes and Noble and you can like sign I your can name. Read my na- yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> sign all of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fun. That's me. You're also mentioned in the gratitude thanks section. Oh, well, thank you. That's exciting. 
Yay. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Well, I, I will be able to buy it at my local Barnes & Noble. I have not pre-ordered it. I was going to pre-order it, and then, but I want it. Well, it's not too late, and it really helps for um, the publisher if you pre-order it. <laughs> oh, pre-order is better? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you could pre-order the Kindle now, actually, which is available, I think. No, I want the hard copy. I want the real one because I, I was picturing myself going down to the Barnes & Noble and picking it up off the shelf. You could do that too. It'll be on the table. Yeah. Like, you know, when you first walk in, there's like yeah. the tables. Oh, that's exciting. Yay. Well, I'm so happy for you. I know that is thrilling. Thank you. I'm really excited. So for listeners, it's actually not too late to pre-order that book because it comes out tomorrow. So if you'd like to do that, that would be absolutely wonderful. All right. Uh, anything new with you? No, it's just here we are in the new year. And, um, of course, Christmas was wonderful. I hope everyone listened to our holiday guide last week and has been applying these strategies over the holidays and into the any New Year's parties that they're having so or that they had, I guess. <laughs> How about you? How was your Christmas? It was good. I Well, I just moved to L.A. I was in L.A., then I was in Atlanta. Now I'm back in L.A., so, and I just got to LA very recently, so it didn't make sense for me to fly back and then fly back, especially with the book release and everything. So I Skyped with my family. Oh, oh and one last thing. So we were going to make this episode our weird problems episode. Wanted to give some more time for listeners to submit that. So listeners, if you have any weird problems from intermittent fasting, so that's going to be something that is an atypical problem with intermittent fasting. The question that inspired this was one about weird bowel sounds during fasting. Not like being hungry or anything typical, but something a little atypical. Definitely send that to us because we're going to have a special episode dedicated to that. So there's that. Yeah. And I just can't wait to see if we are able to actually answer them all. We might have to say, sorry, that one's weird. We don't know. I know. <laughs> we will do our best. Basically, I think I'll I'll have an idea if it's something people have reported before, you know, since I do hear a lot of weird problems in the Facebook groups. So I look forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. So listeners, definitely submit those questions. To do that, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to our website, ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions there. All right, so are we ready for the first one for today? Yes, we are. We're thrilled to bring you Health IQ as the very first sponsor of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Health IQ is a life insurance agency rather than a broker, which uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people, like our intermittent fasting listeners. They can give our listeners exclusive rates, but you have to qualify by taking their online lifestyle quizzes based on everything from the metabolism to the paleo diet to, and I'm not making this up, people who like wearable weights like me. They personally guide you all throughout the life insurance process to make it easy and even fun. To see if you qualify, you can get your free quote today at healthiq.com fasting, or you can mention the promo code fasting when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Totally check them out. We think you'll love them. Okay, and this one is from Sharon, and Sharon's subject is long-term effects of IF. 
She says, hi, Melanie and Jen. First, love, love, love the podcast. Thank you, Sharon. My question is, if there have ever been any long-term studies on intermittent fasting that the body gets used to the way of eating and there are diminished returns. Thanks again so much, Sharon. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sharon, for your question, which came forever ago. Um, But thank you so much. This is a great question. And there aren't really long-term studies on intermittent fasting, especially because it's only recently becoming more and more accepted, I think, especially with the work of, for example, Walter Longo at USC, Fidon, or Krista, I'm not sure how you say her last name, uh, Verity, Verity. They've been doing a lot of work, I think, that has really pushed intermittent fasting to the forefront even that said, I feel like the uh, most of the studies tend to even quote long-term studies. They qualify long-term as like six months, which isn't really that long-term. Um, but my my personal opinion on the matter is that intermittent fasting is the way that we ate historically. So from that perspective, clearly... It, it worked long term. Now today, we obviously don't naturally do that, uh, do intermittent fasting. Most people don't. But as for your question, so does the body get used to this way of eating? I mean, it's going to be mostly anecdotal, but we definitely have like with Jen's Facebook groups and with all the people jumping on board and the podcast listeners, obviously hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people thousands of people doing intermittent fasting and seeing results and doing it long term. I do a lot of research on the diets of centenarians and I know that a lot of them say that they do fasting or they eat one or two meals per day. Sorry, I don't have any specific studies for you, but those are my thoughts. How about you, Jen? Yeah, we don't have clinical studies of long-term intermittent fasting. That's true. And even if we start to get them, as they start to come in, it's going to be very, very interesting to look at the study design because one thing, you know, I've got my blog post about clean fasting and with the thousands and thousands of members in the intermittent fasting groups, we do find that the way you fast makes a big difference. So, you know, sometimes people will call something fasting where you're like drinking broth all day long or you're having small amounts of food and they call that a quote fast. So it's going to be really important that we make sure that as studies come out, we look at them to see what exactly is being studied. Are they actually fasting or are they having a low calorie eating phase or are they having, you know, diet? So does during the, the quote fasting time or not. So just be on the lookout and always be critical of studies as they, they do come out. But I found a, um, a review from the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition from 2015. And basically, the title of it is Health Effects of Intermittent Fasting, Hormesis or Harm, a Systematic Review. So here's what they said as their conclusion. This is part of the abstract. I haven't read the whole thing, but this is their abstract conclusion. Clinical research studies of fasting with robust designs and high levels of clinical evidence are sparse in the literature whereas the few randomized controlled trials and observational clinical outcome studies support the existence of a health benefit from fasting, substantial further research in humans is needed. So I think that's the key. 
Um, what we have, of course, indicates that fasting is linked to many great benefits, longevity, um, all sorts of things. We have a lot of anecdotal evidence of people doing very well with it. You know, obviously, the longer I do it, the better I feel. But we just don't have the robust studies that we would say, yep, this is it. Now, I do have um, something. Dr. Bert Herring, who is the author of Fast Five and also the Appetite Correction book, he did an informal survey of um, people who have been doing the Fast Five plan for a long time. And so his the results, I think, are on BertHearing.com. I can't remember exactly what he found out. But he did have some interesting responses, and they put it all together into an infographic to show that of the people that have been doing it for a long time, um, they had benefits that they reported. So is this a scientific study? No. But informally, I've never known anybody who did an intermittent fasting lifestyle long term and then like stopped it and said, forget it. This is not for me. This is no longer what I'm doing. I actually find the opposite to be true. Um, you know, we just went through the Christmas season and most people take a, a break or relax a little bit for the holidays and I haven't seen anybody else who said, man, I'm sad to be getting back to intermittent fasting. I loved eating all day, every day. You know, everybody's like, no, I can't wait to get back to intermittent fasting. So I think that that speaks for the long-term benefits. People feel better and better the longer they do it. And then when they go off plan, they can't wait to get back to it. I mean, have you ever been on a, quote, diet where you can't wait to get back to it? I don't think so. That's a really great point. Nobody has ever said, I can't wait to go back to feasting all day. Uh-uh. I mean, we enjoy it. We enjoy Christmas Day. But then, you know, whatever day it is, your birthday, your vacation. But then you're like, man, I feel so much better when I'm fasting. Yeah, that's a really great point. And now I don't even really go off of it. I don't <laughs> have any urge to. Yeah. I can understand that. I'm still not quite there on Christmas Day. <laughs> you know, my family has sausage balls for breakfast that I bake in the oven and they come out and they're hot and they're never better. So I, I ate a few of those at eight in the morning. I was popping them in my mouth when they came out of the oven. And then we go to brunch at my dad's. And so, you know, we have our big meal at 1030 on Christmas Day. So am I sorry that I ate all day? No. <laughs> was it good to get back to fasting the next day? Oh, yes. And I think we talked about that a lot on last episode. So I encourage listeners to check out that episode for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. Shall we go to our next question? Yes, let's do it. All right. So this question comes from Brianna or Brianna. And the subject is fasting window. And she says, hi, Melanie and Jen. Loving the podcast. Tons of great information. I have a two-part question. During my fasting window, I've switched from coffee to hot tea because I feel anxious and a little shaky from only drinking coffee. I still notice it with the caffeine-free tea, but it's much better. Do you know of any ways to get around this? Also, since I've switched to tea, I've been buying tea at some tea specialty shops, but I've learned that the majority of their teas have small amounts of added sweeteners. I'm assuming the small amount of sweetener in the tea making process will not break my fast, but I'm not 100%. What do you think? Thank you. All right. I've got many thoughts. Okay. The first question was um, what to do about having trouble with the caffeine. And I think that's that's a good point. You know, if you're very sensitive to caffeine, you're just going to have to figure out a way to get around that and, and just not have caffeine. The thing about intermittent fasting is that it points out – our body's natural sensitivities to us better than anything else. So you may well be somebody um, who can't handle caffeine. So as far as the, the caffeine-free teas, 
tees are without a doubt probably the trickiest thing to, to decide on is this a clean fast or is it not and it's because there are more varieties of tea things called tea than you can actually imagine i mean you know we've got actual tea you know the the plant tea that's an easy yes although some people have trouble with that um tea makes me feel queasy do you do well with tea melanie um i'm not a huge tea fan actually yeah, I don't like it. It actually makes me feel queasy when I have it on an empty stomach, which is weird. Yeah, that's just me. I don't even like tea, really. Black tea, green tea, I don't like it. But as far as the things we actually call tea, you know, they're, they can be made with so many things. And so there's no blanket yes or no. Now, there is a blanket no if they're adding small amounts of sweeteners. That's definitely a no. You don't want that. So you want to avoid any kind of tea that is going to be sweet tasting to you. And... um. I have a, a blog post, can I have blank while fasting, fill in the blank, because people ask a million questions about what they can have. And the thing about um, many things, such as these teas, is that they're in the gray area, we call them. So something like, for example, peppermint tea, made with just peppermint. Some people drink peppermint tea, and they're absolutely fine. Other people drink peppermint tea, and they're instantly starving, so they know that it doesn't work well for them. So really, any type of tea... If it has added sweeteners that you can identify by reading the label, then definitely you don't want to have that. Or if they have, you know, quote, natural flavors, unquote, on the label, always be skeptical of that because manufacturers hide all sorts of things under that label of natural flavors. And just if the name of the tea is described as sweet, you know, like there's one that's called, I don't know what it's called, but they describe it as sweet and spicy. But if it says that in the description, I would be very, very skeptical as to whether or not you should have that during the fast. Basically, you want your fast to be boring. And you don't want your body to be thinking that you're having all these delicious things. So um, one rule of thumb is if you look at the tea and you think, man, that sounds delicious, then it probably is not something you want during fasting because we don't want fasting to be delicious. We want it to be boring. What are your thoughts, Melanie? My first thing was similar to what you said, Jen. I was going to say probably just want to titrate off caffeine if it is the caffeine making you anxious. So I know that's not a fun answer, but that's <laughs> what I think about that. Also, Jen will hate me for saying this, but you could try Bulletproof Coffee. Some people find they don't get anxious with that. That's where you add MCT oil to your coffee. But don't. But not if you're trying to lose weight. I wouldn't recommend that. Jen, do you hate me for saying that? No, but I just think that it's important to distinguish that if you're trying to lose weight, that's not going to be your best bet. And really, I mean, I just don't think it's a good idea unless you're really like trying to gain weight <laughs> or if you're trying to adjust to fasting. Also, it if you're drinking really not good quality coffee, that could actually be a thing. It is possible, it's not the caffeine, that it's actually maybe mold toxins or something in the coffee. So you could try sourcing the actual, for example, Bulletproof brand of coffee, which checks for mold toxins or other organic brands. A lot of people find that a very high quality coffee makes them less anxious. So that's just anecdotal. That's something to try. And then um, Jen pretty much summed it up with the uh, the sweeteners and tea. Uh, I do believe they break the fast though yeah teas are just so tricky and people I mean people always say can I have this tea and there really isn't a yes or no even if you look at the ingredients because 
it's just so hard to know what your body is going to do with it. Your body might perceive something. You know, some people have trouble with coffee. Black coffee makes them hungry. So you just have to try it and see for you. But if it's got sweeteners in it, don't have it. Even if you're like, well, it doesn't make me hungry. You still don't want to have it if it's got sweeteners in it. All right. Are we ready for the next question? Yes, yes. This one is from Ashley, and the subject is vitamin D. And Ashley says, I'm deficient in vitamin D during the colder months. When should I take this supplement? It's fat-soluble, so I'd normally take it with my evening meal. However, I read vitamin D can halt melatonin production temporarily, so morning time is best to take it. I already have a hard time falling asleep, so what do you recommend? This is a great question. What you got for it? Great question, Ashley. So yes, vitamin D is key, key, key for our health and wellness. Obviously, the best way to get it is from the sun if possible. So this is just a side note, but I actually think that going to a tanning bed for a short amount of times during the winter is actually a pretty a pretty good habit. The ironic thing about it is that UVB is the wavelength responsible for vitamin D production uh, from the sun, not the UVA, but... <laughs> Ironically, UVA is actually the wavelength more responsible for the actual tan look, and it's assumed to be safer, which is not not necessarily the case. Um, but in any case, the more expensive tanning beds tend to be more UVA rather than UVB, which is in our benefit because it means we can go to the cheap ones that are more UVB and we can get our our vitamin D for cheaper, which is works for me. Palm Beach Tan, I was looking into it and they they have beds, their lowest beds have more UVB. I don't know where you're located, Ashley, but I would actually recommend that you maybe go to a tanning bed if you like. As for the actual vitamin D supplement, that is an option as well. And you're right that it is fat soluble. I personally take the Thorn brand and it's a vitamin D K2 blend, which apparently is good for optimal absorption. And it's only mixed with MCT oil and vitamin E. And you can take it sublingually. I actually take it sublingually and I rub it into my skin. So I fill up a spoonful and then I put it onto my wrist and I rub my wrists together and then I rub <laughs> my wrists on my lips to like moisturize them and then I also take some on a spoon. So I just try to get it all there. But I do take it in the morning because it is true that it might halt melatonin production. That said, but, but you need adequate vitamin D for sleep. So actually, for example, Dr. Kirk Parsley's sleep remedy, which I completely 100% recommend um, if you have trouble sleeping, it actually contains a very small amount of vitamin D as well because you do need some vitamin D to go to bed. But as for the actual supplementation, I recommend taking it in the morning. Yes, it's fat soluble, but that's why you get it in a like a fat carrier kind of right, a supplement. Right. Yeah. So that that's what I recommend. How about you, Jen? Yeah, that's that's what I also um 
I found about the the melatonin was interesting. I had not heard that before, so I looked after receiving this question, and yeah, it really can make a difference. So that was very interesting. And so, yeah, that's a dilemma for intermittent fasters. You know, <laughs> we're not eating in the morning, so we aren't taking in any food. So I actually did some digging, and I found um, something a study called Topical Delivery of Vitamin D3, a randomized controlled pilot study. And this is from 2014. And so they were using transdermal vitamin D that you put on your skin, which is what is so funny because that's what Melanie just described, rubbing it on her skin. And so this study actually found, and we'll link this in the show notes, but the study actually found that, yes, it was effective to use it transdermally and to rub it in your skin, which I'd never thought to do with vitamin D. So I went on to Amazon and just checked. There are all sorts of liquid vitamin D supplements that you can buy that are designed to be used transdermally. So you can feel safe that, you know, if you don't want to take it orally, you can buy the kind that's designed to go on your skin and use that in the morning. That said, you don't even need to get the special skin kind. Yeah. And I actually don't recommend those because most of those are made with crazy fillers and things you don't want getting absorbed. Oh, are they? See, I didn't look. I didn't look in detail. I just thought that they had them. Yeah, find one without crazy fillers, people. <laughs> so I actually really, really, really just recommend doing the um, the thorn version that I mentioned. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes because our skin is technically our lo- our largest organ. Some people say, and it's excellent at absorbing things. Side note: I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast. You can actually. With cod liver oil, if you don't like the taste of it, you can uh, do that transdermally as well. Yeah, I think people are familiar with that if they think about all the medications that come in patch form. That's that's transdermal application. My husband did some research with some transdermal drugs when he was getting his PhD in medicinal chemistry. But it's a great delivery system. And, you know, we've all seen people using the, the nicotine patch and other drugs that come in patch form. So it's definitely a, a way to, to make that work for you especially if you have compromised digestion as well. Yeah, and if you just don't want to take something in the morning. I don't like taking a lot of things on an empty stomach just because I'm really sensitive and get queasy when I do. So I'm more likely to want to rub something in than to want to take it on an empty stomach. Oh, I took some iron on an empty stomach before dinner. I was just getting ready to eat, and I had it, I'm had trying to take you know, a little iron. And I was like, I'll just take it right now. I'm getting ready to eat. And then like halfway through my dinner, I was like, I am so sick from this iron. I needed to eat the food first, then take the iron. Yeah, it needs to be like completely surrounded by food. So that's just me. All righty. Shall we jump to our next question? Yes, let's do. So our next question comes from Jenna Beth, and the subject is sleep. And she says, I have a question regarding sleep. I am loving the benefits of IF, but since starting, I notice I notice that I either wake up during the night feeling very awake and alert, and I'm unable to get back to sleep, or I wake up earlier and don't go back to sleep. I keep my window open until bedtime, as I naturally prefer a later eating window, as this suits my lifestyle, so I'm not going to bed hungry. I posted my concern on the Facebook group and would really appreciate both your feedback on it. Loving the podcast, and please, please do an audible version of your books. Lots of love from Scotland, Jenna Beth. I actually, this is so appropriate, I actually dreamed last night that they <laughs> did, cause, because I don't have, um, I actually don't have final control over who does the audio book version of my book 
even though I really want to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think you have to do it. It has to be you. I know. I really hope so. But I dreamed that they just went ahead and did it and they had a male narrator do it, <laughs> which is my one thing. Like, I think the narrator should be the same gender as the author. I agree. So it was a nightmare. That's so funny. Now, um, funny story about that as far as the audible version. I do have that on my to-do list for both of my books, but I haven't had time to get to it. It's going to take a big chunk of time. This is not something that you just throw together over a weekend or here and there. So um, I think it's going to be summer before I get to it. Um, so it is on my to-do list. In the meantime, if you've got a certain kind of Kindle, I know it can read it to you. So <laughs> try that. Try using the Kindle that will read to you, and that should help. Although this is the funny story part of it. Um, one of the Facebook group's um, members said that he had the book read to him on his Kindle, and it was read in a male voice, so he thought I was a man the whole time. Wonderful. <laughs> Isn't that really <laughs> funny? He's like, oh, wait, you're a woman? I'm like, yeah, which is funny because – yeah, because I'm also wondering the things that I said in the book. I don't know if they sound super masculine. Oh, Maybe they, they were do. applicable. That's right, funny. right. So anyway, I just think that's funny. But yeah, you can um, be on the lookout. There will be an audible version eventually. It's just it's a very very big undertaking for me. I'm not, you know, techno savvy when it comes to editing. Melanie is our editing superstar over there <laughs> with our with our podcast. But I can speak into a microphone. But I need to learn how to do the um the editing and get it together. It's, it's not going to be an easy thing. So, all right. So anyway, there's that. So back to Jenna Beth's question, and it was about sleep. This is actually very common, and I'm interested to know where Jenna Beth is in the process. It doesn't say. Um, I think that people that are new to intermittent fasting do have more um, difficulty in the beginning, and then it evens out over time. But I I do understand what Jenna Beth says. I had more trouble sleeping earlier in the process, or if I don't eat enough carbs, that is true for me. Or if I don't eat enough in a certain day, I have more trouble sleeping. So, you know, Jenna, Jenna Beth, I would just make sure, you know, if you've been doing this for a while and you're still having trouble sleeping, you know, think about, you know, are you having enough carbs? Now, I know you might be low carb, you might be keto, and so you don't want to add more carbs. But for me, it really made a difference with sleeping. I didn't sleep at all when I was doing keto at all. That was one of the reasons I didn't like it. Um, but that was when I discovered magnesium supplements that really helped at, with sleeping. So I take magnesium at bedtime every night, and um, the one that I take is a blend of citrate and oxide, and it really, really makes a difference for me with the sleeping. So, you know, there are many things you can do. One thing, though, that is true about intermittent fasting is that most people do realize over time they don't need as much sleep as they used to. So... You just might not need as much sleep as you used to. I'm okay on six or seven hours now, and I don't have that, you know, I haven't had enough sleep feeling like I used to if I only would sleep for that long. Like I used to absolutely, I had to have eight hours of sleep, but I'm no longer at that point. I'm perfectly fine with six or seven hours. So it may just be that your natural sleep pattern is changing because of intermittent fasting. As long as you feel good and you're not like lethargic and tired during the day, um, just keep that in mind. You may be getting enough sleep and not even not even realize it. That's a great point. And people find that as well with keto. I People report that as well. So what I find personally is that waking up alert in the middle of the night or in the morning and not being able to go back to sleep typically involves cortisol because cortisol is the hormone responsible for 
making you wake up like that. If you're waking up in the middle of the night, it could be hypoglycemia so or reactive hypoglycemia since you did recently eat. With normal hypoglycemia, your glycogen stores become depleted or with reactive hypoglycemia, basically your pancreas overreacts to however many carbs you're intaking and shuttles all the sugar out of the bloodstream, which results in um, cortisol release to stimulate the re-release of um, glucose. So to deal with that, um, you would want to look at what you're eating and you would want to make sure that it's not something that's encouraging a hypoglycemic state. If you're waking up early in the morning and not being able to fall back asleep, again, that can be related to cortisol. It can be related to to, to something called the dawn phenomenon, um, which also relates to blood sugar regulation. So basically, if it is cortisol related and blood sugar related, you're going to want to look at what you're eating to address that rather than necessarily when you're eating. So I think that that could be huge. Also, you want to make sure you have adequate nutrients. So just again, looking at what you're eating. And I mentioned the supplement earlier, but I really do recommend dark Dr. Kirk Parsley's sleep remedy. We'll have a link to that on ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. I find that to be absolutely phenomenal for sleep. Like it's really, really amazing. And it just supplies the body with a few small amounts of a few key things that are necessary for starting the sleep cycle production rather than knocking you out. I don't recommend turning to medications or anything like that. It's things like vitamin D, a smidge of melatonin, 5-HTP, a few other little ingredients, but it just provides the body with the substrates needed for sleep. So yes, it's probably either blood sugar related or um, what Jen said with magnesium. That's also really, really great for sleep. So we'll put a link in the show notes. Or there actually, there already is a link to all the magnesium stuff that we like. So you can go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like for that. And I agree that I cannot go to bed hungry (laughs) at all. All right. We ready for our next question? All right. This one is from Jen. Jen, it looks like for Jennifer. And the subject is coconut milk. And Jen says, I have listened to all of your podcasts to date. Thank you for taking the time to share with your listeners all about your IF life. I have been living an intermittent fasting lifestyle for only about two months now. And I have just discovered coconut milk in a can. I put it in a smoothie with a few strawberries and chia seeds. I loved it, but then started to do some research about it and found mixed reviews. The range of opinions about it can state that it is one of the best foods for your body to articles about how it is dangerous and one of the worst foods. I would love to hear your opinions on this as I sit here confused. Thanks so much, Jen. All right. Well, hi, Jen. Thank you so much for your question. So coconut milk. Um, I believe that the negative stigma that's attached to coconut milk is that it's is that coconut is high in saturated fat, and there's just this conventional idea that saturated fat is bad for you, which that's a whole nother topic, but I do not believe is the case, and I don't really think studies show that. And coconut is actually really rich also in a special type of saturated fat called medium chain triglycerides, which is a um, 
or MCTs. They support metabolism and they have an array of health benefits. So that's actually a really good thing. So as far as coconut milk is concerned, I did actually do some research and the studies show a lot of benefits to coconut milk. Um, they show that studies have found that it decreases LDL and increases HDL. That's a good change in cholesterol, not a bad change. And then one study looking at um, blood sugar regulation and diabetes found that while coconut water had a hypoglycemic effect, which is not good, they found that coconut milk actually had a regenerative effect. So that's really interesting. In addition, another study found that coconut milk does not increase cardiovascular disease risk, which the fact that they're having to look into that to see if it does or not, does or does not, just goes to show, I think, the uh, the general com- general societal view of coconut milk having a negative stigma. Um, so I am a fan of coconut milk for sure. Yeah, I think this is a great question and I love it, not just because of the fact that it's about coconut milk. Let's, let's don't even think about coconut milk and we could fill in the blank with literally any food or beverage or anything that exists and have the same question. Um, she said the range of opinions about it state that it is one of the best foods for your body and about how it is one of the worst. That could be really for anything. So this really goes back to why I wrote Feast Without Fear in that everything is confusing if you start to research it. Like, let's just say coffee. You can read a bunch of opinions and articles and doctors saying that coffee is awful and you shouldn't have it and caffeine is bad. I actually read a book about that one time. Um, It was about how bad caffeine is for us and how bad coffee is for us and how we shouldn't have it. And um, But then again, you can find the opposite, the exact opposite advice from also doctors. And they all have, you know, supplemental studies and anecdotes and all sorts of reasons why, you know, they have the opinion that they have. So as I said, this is one of the reasons why I write Feast Without Fear. And my goal is to hopefully convince you to shut out some of this dietary noise you will figure out what works well for your body. I mean, do you think it's that coconut milk is some kind of a horrific thing? No, <laughs> it's not. Could someone have a sensitivity to coconut milk? Of course they could. So the best way to figure it out is with an intermittent fasting lifestyle, you'll know what foods work for you. You should not be afraid of any macronutrients. You know, Melanie was talking about fat. You shouldn't be afraid of fat. You shouldn't be afraid of carbs. You shouldn't be afraid of protein. I could name a diet book that demonizes each one of those items. Yeah, there's a book, Don't Eat Protein. There's a book, Protein is Great. So anything you can come up with, you will find rationale to avoid it or to eat pretty much only that. And so you can make yourself crazy by overdoing the opinion on what to eat and what not to eat. Trust your body. Do intermittent fasting. See how you feel and then go with that. Now, that being said, I do have one piece of advice for coconut milk. I did a little research on it just to see why are people even saying it's bad. And um, I did see one blog post that talked about the fact that it's in cans lined with BPA. So if, try to find a coconut milk that's not in a BPA lined can. And, you know, other than that, embrace it. If you love coconut milk, I don't think there's a thing wrong with coconut milk. Um, Now, if it makes you sick when you drink it, don't drink coconut milk. But don't be afraid of real traditional foods that people have had um, long term. You really shouldn't be. Um, 
and stay away from too much Googling about foods because it really will make you crazy. And then you'll be like just drinking water. You know, that's all that's left. But <laughs> but which water, you know, <laughs> which pH water? So, I mean, you can make yourself crazy um, with really any any product known to man, even plain water. And then a lot of the coconut milks also have added gums in them as well. Trader Joe's does make a version of coconut milk in a, in a non-BPA can without gums, by the way, though. So that's a good good route to go. I'll also put a link on ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like to some coconut milk that you can order as well. Yeah. Just keep it as, as close to the natural, you know, real coconut milk and fewer additives. That's always a good bet for really any product. All right. Should we go to our next question? Yes. So this question comes from Megan, and the subject is IF and polycystic ovarian syndrome. And Megan says, I've recently been diagnosed with PCOS. Not sure if you're familiar with this condition. It is a hormonal condition that can be associated with problems such as irregular menstrual cycles, excessive facial and body hair growth, acne, obesity, reduced fertility, and increased risk of diabetes. Women with PCOS commonly have high levels of insulin or male hormones known as androgens or both. The cause of this is unclear, but insulin resistance is thought to be the key problem driving this syndrome. So I'm wondering how intermittent fasting might affect PCOS. Would love if you would be able to please help me on this as I've done a bit of research, but not much comes up. Thank you kindly. All right, Jen, thoughts? Yeah, this is a great question, and I'm going to speak anecdotally here just from people on the Facebook support groups, and um, we have a lot of people finding intermittent fasting through PCOS support forums because, you know, as Megan said, women with this um, syndrome commonly have high levels of insulin, and so what is the absolute best way to lower your insulin bar none, and that is fasting. So, um, yeah. Women are telling other women about it. Women are finding success with this by doing intermittent fasting. So have there been any studies? You know, I don't know of any specifically, and Megan said she hasn't been able to find them herself. But um, anecdotally, people are having great results with intermittent fasting because it does lower your insulin so well. I will also say we've had group members who um, suffer from this. And one thing that, that can be difficult, it can be difficult to get pregnant while suffering from PCOS. And we've had, like in one week, we had three members with this syndrome who got pregnant and they announced their pregnancy on the group. So now look, I'm not, I'm not making a health claim here. I'm not at all. This, like I said, is anecdotal. Um, I'm not claiming that this will reverse your PCOS or that, you know, this is your medical advice from me. But anecdotally, a lot of women with this syndrome are um, referring their other friends with the same syndrome to intermittent fasting because it is related to insulin. And then people have had some pretty incredible results. Yes. And I actually addressed this a bit in my book, which comes out tomorrow. I have a chapter called The Battle of the Sexes. And in there, I do address women and intermittent fasting. And there actually have been some fasting studies on PCOS specifically. A 2013 Ramadan study looked at 40 women with PCOS, which is actually, it's actually the most prevalent endocrine disturbance in females. I don't know if you knew that, Jen. 
it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. I didn't know that specifically, but yeah, not surprised because people are talking about it very very frequently. So it's clear that a lot of women have this issue. Actually, a proposed mechanism for PCOS is a shutdown of the reproductive system because of increased um, nervous system activity, which is interesting. So the study d- looked at intermittent fasting's effect on the nervous on nervous system factors like cortisol, catecholamine, sex, sex hormones. Um, but what it actually found that fasting upregulated the nervous system activity, which we talked about before on the podcast, but it found that fasting proved therapeutic for PCOS women and actually decreased levels of the stress hormones, cortisol, and, and noradrenaline, which is pretty interesting. Another 2002 study also found fasting benefited women with PCOS. So it's interesting that there have actually been studies specifically on fasting and PCOS, and they find benefits. Well, awesome. I'm glad glad you found a couple of them, but that doesn't surprise me at all that there are benefits. Yeah, there definitely are. So I definitely encourage you, uh, Megan, to continue with intermittent fasting, and hopefully it can help your PCOS. Yay. Yay, yay. All right, so I think we have time for one more question, and this one is from Yo, and the subject is ketone high question mark. And Yo says, I have heard you discuss in older podcasts a particular high feeling you experience during IF. I'm two weeks into IF with a four to five hour window each day in the evening. At present, I get really sleepy in the afternoons, so I am not getting that high. Is that something that comes after you've been in the IF lifestyle longer, or does it just not happen for everyone? Thanks for your podcast. It's like having a daily support partner. Yay. (laughs) Well, hi, yo. Great question. Um, for me, it started pretty quickly, and it's I basically get it when I really connect into that fasted state. Like, I think I just hit it, actually, halfway through this podcast, I realized. Yeah, it's, it's just a very in-the-zone feeling. It started early for me. How about you, Jen? Well, I think we've talked, both of us, before about how we – went from a keto lifestyle into intermittent fasting. And I think that's the key. Both of us did that same transition. Um, And so the ketosis feeling happens in intermittent fasting when your body is able to access your fat stores and you go into ketosis. So if you're only two weeks in, yo, then you're probably not getting there yet. Um, some people don't get it till after three weeks. Some people really, it even takes them longer than that. It might be a month. It might be six weeks. Um, it has to do with your stored glycogen and how long it takes your body to get through that. Intermittent fasting takes care of that over time. And so I would just tell you, you're not there yet. Um, both Melanie and I were doing keto. And of course I've talked about how I didn't feel well or lose weight on it, but in the meantime, I had burned through some glycogen stores through those months of um, eating that ketogenic way. So that's why I think it was really easy for me to transition into intermittent fasting and then have that great feeling through the through the fasting. But if you're brand new, it can feel like you're slogging through jello as your body adjusts. And actually, I have to say, um, I felt like that the day after Christmas because <laughs> I had eaten a lot on Christmas Eve and then on Christmas Day. And then... Um, 
the December 26th, I was just lethargic the whole day. And I never got that ketosis taste in my mouth the entire day, the day after Christmas. It wasn't until the 27th that I, I, I felt like I hit it. So you just got to get through that glycogen, that stored glycogen, and start getting into the fat burning. And then you should be able to get it. All right. Well, this was wonderful. So a few thoughts before we go. For show notes for this episode, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 37, and that's where you can get show notes, references um, to the studies that we talked about and all the good things. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, and that's where we're going to list the stuff we discussed that we like, the magnesium, the sleep remedy, all the things we talked about, the coconut oil. And then lastly, you can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes and that will have the episodes downloaded automatically to your podcast. And also when you're in iTunes, we would love, love, love if you'd like to write a review of the podcast. That would help so much. So yes, any final thoughts from you, Jen? No, just happy new year to everybody. And let's make this the year that um, that we bring intermittent fasting mainstream so that everybody is like, oh yeah, intermittent fasting, that's awesome. Instead of what? What is that? I agree. Let's do it. Goals. New year goals. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Tell your tell your friends to listen to the podcast if they have questions. Instead of saying, you know, feeling like you have to defend it, say, hey, here's a podcast. Listen to that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it was wonderful talking to you and happy new year. Happy new year. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.